And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is an old friend at this point, Dr. Peter Hammond. Peter, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Dan. Great to be back with you. You know, you've recently had a missionary trip. You went here into the States. You're from South Africa, and you participated in many meetings and sharing the gospel and preaching. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share with our listeners how all of that went. Well, it it went actually very well. It's an absolute blessing, I must say. Uh, Coming to your country is often uh, absolutely fascinating. I hadn't been in America for a year, so there, there was a lot to catch up on and to learn and see. I I do try to keep tabs with mailing lists and internet and what's going on in America. And uh, we've got several missionaries here from the States uh, who work with our mission. And we're deeply concerned, of course, because uh, we know that that, uh, what goes on in America does affect us around the world because so much of our books, good and bad, come from America. Uh, So many of the missionaries come from America. The films, the entertainment, the music, (laughs) the (laughs) politics of America affect uh, uh, us in Africa. So we we, we know that our our um, futures are very much wrapped up. But also, although South Africa is much smaller, we share a common ancestry to America. We were discovered in the 1400s. We were uh, settled in the 1600s by Dutch, French, British, German settlers, very much like the original United States. And we had our gold rush. We've had our great move, in our case, northwards and eastwards, as you had yours, westwards, uh, in covered wagons. And we had a war between the states, and mm. uh, we called it the Anglo-Boer War here. We've had a lot of things like that. So uh, there's, there's some similarities, and we've got a mostly Protestant uh, heritage. And uh, uh, so South Africa and the United States do have some things in common. And uh, the difference is, of course, we're a whole lot smaller. Uh, but... Um, uh, we can see the same spiritual threats uh, that have attacked us are attacking you. And I think in some ways our country is ahead of yours and other country, ways your country is ahead of ours. But we learn a lot from America, and I think America can benefit from looking at what's going on in Africa too. Yeah, many times I, I listen to you and I think, how does he know so much about our country? And it, it is because of this unique tie-in and how one affects the other And so it's important to uh, keep a close eye on what is happening. Um, So you came over here, and I believe you had some wonderful services with Pastor Al Baker. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes, you know, Al Baker from Presbyterian Evangelist Fellowship, uh, he's from uh, Alabama and uh, Birmingham. He came through to minister uh, in uh, South Africa at the beginning of the year with our Great Commission camp and course, and he's just tremendous. What a what a preacher, evangelist, church planter, and uh, he invited me to come to the states and uh, organized a series of of uh, services and home meetings and ministry in both Alabama and Georgia. And uh, the the highlight of it, in many ways, was the um, Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship Conference at. Um, a Covenant College on Lookout Mountain in Georgia, which is a magnificent venue. Mm-hmm. And there were people who came from all over. There were missionaries from Britain, Poland, India, Brazil, Mexico, Russia. Uh, so we, we got some interesting insights. And uh, that, that was really tremendous, tremendous both ministering. They wanted me to give presentations on the greatest century of missions, on the challenge of David Livingston, on spiritual stamina, I dealt with the St. James Massacre 
uh, 23 years ago mm. as well, and what we can learn from that. And um, also interacting with the young people. <laughs> that, that was tremendous. So that was really good. And then I was also invited to Tennessee to uh, the, the Botkins. Some people may know about uh, the uh, Jeffrey Botkin and his daughters who produced Return the Daughters. And they produced so many good things from, from the Ministry of Western Conservatory. So they had a summit where I spoke throughout Friday and Saturday uh, dealing with participants who came in from quite far and wide around the States too, uh, dealing with um, what's going on in the world, what's the common sins of our congregations, what's the priorities uh, for congregational repentance, where does our country stand in covenantal judgment before God, threat assessments, what's facing our communities, what's facing our civilization, even globally, where and when is God working today? Where's the gospel bearing fruit? Where and how is evil being manifested? And where's the church failing to address this evil? Where's persecution currently the heaviest? And where are we making progress? Where are we retreating? How can we work better for freedom and justice? And uh, there's a whole range of interesting things. How can we be more effective in discipling nations? I must say, I loved it because we are such tough, probing questions that real brain twisting questions where you've really got to apply your mind and and get to grips with it that was very refreshing and and that was the whole weekend it wasn't just saturday and sunday uh but uh, uh friday uh, but sunday services went on so long in fact the days there were 14 15 hour days of non-stop between meetings there was discussion around every meal time and it was rare for an evening to end before one or two in the morning um there just that much interest. And so I appreciated interacting with iron sharpening iron and, uh, you know, discussions, disagreements, uh, trying to get to the grips of things. It's, it's necessary for us to do this every now and then. Mm. Well, it sounds wonderful. And, uh, I, I'm just amazed at how much energy the Lord gives you. It, it's, uh, truly supernatural what, what he does in your life. <laughs> what about, um, Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned the common sins. Um, you're, you're from another country, you come to America, you watch us closely. Um, sometimes the perception is, is heightened, I think, coming from the outside, coming in. And uh, what are some of the, and I don't want to overemphasize this, but un- until we know where, where, the, where the sickness is, where the problem is, um, it's hard to have a solution. So um, what is the sickness that, that you see from the outside looking in at America? Yes, well, bear in mind, I've ministered in four continents in 36 countries mm. uh, over the years. And so I've been missions now for, for more than 34 years. And um, it's very obvious when I've ministered amongst the persecuted church a lot in Eastern Europe, when the Iron Curtain was up during the communist era. Yes. I've ministered amongst the persecuted church in North Africa, so I know Sudan and northern Nigeria and the Congo and Zimbabwe, and I've ministered in Mozambique and Angola when the communist persecution was very severe there. And I've experienced the revival in Kwasi Mission in Zuland in, in South Africa. So having those um, backgrounds, coming to America, of course, there's a lot of things that can impress you, but along with the good things, and so much of the books we distribute and a lot of the great resources come from Americans. And I must say, you know, Dr. James Kennedy and... George Grant, and you've produced so many great people that who've produced materials that have blessed us. And, uh, you know, we get from Banner of Truth and Presbyterian Reformed and uh, so many good resources that you have, Where the Master, Answers in Genesis, 
we praise God for these ministries. But when I come to America, what strikes me first is the worldliness. It's phenomenally worldly. And I don't just mean the pagans, but the churches are very worldly. Uh, the forms of worship, the types of music, the kind of clothing, the styles, uh, a lot of it seems uh, sensationalism and um, a lot of it is, uh, it looks plastic and fake uh, from the outside. Materialism is, is heavy. Uh, there's also a lot of pragmatism. You know, it's got to work. And, uh, yes. of course, the church growth systems, the mega churches are extreme examples of this. Um, but then there's a lot of apathy. Uh, it, it seems that so many people are so distracted that they're missing the big picture. And many don't know what's going on in missions or in a persecuted church or around the world. They seem apathetic to even the sufferings of Christians far and wide away. And yet they're deeply concerned about whatever the mass media is throwing on a screen as though that's real or true or important just because it's on the Clinton News Network or uh, if it's in the Slime magazine, Newspeak or Useless News and World Report. But why do we trust the media when, yes. uh, when I've reminded people, but Jesus said, do not be deceived. And he warned us not to be deceived. And Revelation in four separate places tells us about Satan deceiving the nations. Yes. And the day will come at the end when an angel will bind Satan that he might deceive the nations no more, which means nations are being deceived today. Mm -hmm. And yet I see an enormous amount of Christians in America who have taken as gospel truth what the world is telling them, what the United Nations, the World Council Churches, Hollywood, and all the Christ-hating, blaspheming pagans say, and they assume a lot of it's true. They've just accepted yeah. everything from evolution to uh, who the good guys and who the bad guys are in the world are and even the pagans' view of recent history. And it's staggering how many Christians will damn to hell Christians like the Crusaders who fought Islamic Jihad That's centuries right. ago on the basis of what? On the basis of what the pagans have told them. And they assume that, that somehow the world must be telling them the truth, not accepting the Bible has warned us, don't be deceived. And if I find myself in agreement with the world on anything, I must know that I'm being deceived. Mm, mm. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, founder and director of Frontline Fellowship. And um, we are concerned. We, we share this together over the um, great sins that are happening in both of our lands. Peter is from South Africa. Of course, we're here in the States um, Peter, let's have some encouragement now regarding how the Lord is working uh, in his people, how he's bringing the nations to himself. Maybe you can encourage us in this. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, the thing that's so clear to me is Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I have ministered in so many churches that were once destroyed by either communists or Muslims and have been rebuilt and are to overflowing now. And there's so many churches that I would like to show pictures to your people too, if we could do that by yes. radio. But they could go onto our website and see, because uh, I have ministered in churches in Angola, Mozambique, Sudan, R Romania, that were destroyed by the enemies of Christ and have been rebuilt. And so in very physical, visible ways, I've seen that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And uh, one tremendous, uh, phenomenal example that that uh, is, is a big testimony to the failure of atheism and the victory of, of, of faith today is how in Russia, uh, the third largest church in the world, 
uh, and that, that is the church at the Christ the Savior Cathedral in Moscow. It was destroyed in 1941, 1931 by order of Joseph Stalin, a dictator of, of Soviet Union. Yeah. And this, this was the church that was built to praise God for his rescuing Russia from the revolutionary French force of Napoleon in 1812. Hmm. And it was the site of the 1812 overture, uh, Sharkovsky's great overture. Hmm. And so this church, this iconic, m- magnificent uh, cathedral to the glory of God was demolished by uh, Stalin and he planned to build a palace of, the, of atheism over it with a sort of Tower of Babel type buttress system leading at the very height there would be a statue, an idol of Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, the first dictator of the Soviet Union, with his fist shaking in the face of God. Well, they never managed to complete that because Operation Barbarossa, Second World War, a whole lot of things happened. But in 1991, they started to rebuild that church, completed in the year 2000. And today that church stands as a magnificent testimony. They didn't just rebuild something prefab. They, they built it to the original dimensions, specifications, magnificent art. And I've been in church like that in Romania and in Sudan, destroyed by the Muslims or the communists, rebuilt. And so we've got to see time and again that Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Just uh, about 800 meters north of the uh, north and west of Red Square in Moscow, there's uh, the Lubyanka Square. And Lubyanka used to be a monastery. And the KGB took it over and turned it into the secret police headquarters in Moscow. And Thousands of Christians were arrested, tortured, murdered in the Lubyanka. The Lubyanka was a term of terror. And outside the Lubyanka, the center of, the, of Lubyanka Square is a statue of Dzensky, erected in 1958. And Dzensky is the founder of the Cheka, which became the NKVD, which became the KGB, the secret police. And Dzensky's massive statue, oh, 90 feet high at least, um, was brought down in 1991. And Today, if you go to the Lubyanka Square, the statue is no longer there, but a stone is there. And it's not just any stone. It's a stone from Solovetsky Island. It's the, 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 the monastery which the communists turned to first prototype Soviet concentration camp, high up in Arctic Circle, where they murdered 100,000 Christians, most of them ministers of the gospel, in that concentration camp. And they've brought a stone from there and put it in that in that square, the Lubyanka Square, where the statue used to stand. And immediately it reminds us of Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected as worthless. And um, if anyone falls on that stone, it will cut him to pieces. But mm. if he falls on that, um, if that stone falls on someone, it will crush him to dust. And we think of the vision of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, of the statue representing all the empires of the world. And a stone came and struck the base of the statue and it crumbled to dust. The dust blew away, and the stone grew to be a mountain that filled the whole earth. Just the symbolism of the triumph of Christ's kingdom against these hideous enemies of Christ, whether it's communism, secular humanism, evolutionism, Islamic jihad, whatever the enemies of Christ are, they will all be crushed to dust. They will all fail. All the persecutors who attempt to destroy Christ's church will fail. And Jesus Christ continues to build his church on the rock. He is the rock. <laughs> And his rock will grow to be a mountain that will fill all earth. So I see a lot of reason for rejoicing and confidence in the ultimate victory. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's very encouraging. I'm thinking also about the fact that uh, you're talking about grand things here that God is doing. 
And yet, uh, just one Christian sitting at home or sitting in traffic listening today to this interview may think, oh, there's not much I can do. But how wrong that is. It seems that these great things start very small and just one step of obedience after another. Could you encourage that individual Christian today to uh, obey God in that way? I can indeed. In fact, I would say the single most important strategic thing we can do is to invest in the education of the young people, whether it's our children or grandchildren. Education is critical. Because if you look at all the things that are going wrong in your country and my country, where does it come from? Now, I loathe Hollywood degeneracy and rap, hip-hop, uh, acid rock, death metal, and all these other things that are polluting and perverting the world. And there's no doubt that music and the media has a very negative influence when hijacked by evil. However, I would blame your education system far more than I would even your, educa- your entertainment industry for the mess that America's gotten into, where people are even questioning what is marriage and uh, can you have unrepentant perverts as minister of the gospel and can a church have, have uh, call it a marriage, what God called an abomination? You know, yes. I think we've got to the stage. How did we get this far? Well, it's from education. It's the, the philosophy of the classroom in this generation will be the philosophy of government in the next generation. Oh, so so a single greatest, highest priority, I think the most strategic step any family can take is home education. Just protecting our family from the vile Hollywood poison by throwing out the TV and keeping our children from being indoctrinated by secular humanist state schools is already a tremendous step forward. But providing Bible-based, Christ-centered school textbooks for educators, whether in a private Christian school, a church school, or a home school, that is strategic. So supporting and producing alternative God-honoring films, music, media, magazines, radio programs is, of course, vital. Praise God for the internet, for social media, for community Christian radio stations. All of this is vital. But strategically, the single most important thing all of us can do is take responsibility for the education of our own family or grandchildren, because sometimes the parents are uh, missing the point, and the grandparents can sometimes really redeem the situation, stepping in and helping, sponsoring, gifts of books, uh, time. There's so many things we can do. But but I look back and I think I've done a lot of smuggling Bibles and a lot of ministry behind enemy circles and so on. But the training of my four children to fear and love the Lord and to know his word and to love his world and to be involved in making disciples, to me, it's the investing in my children and helping other families to invest in their children. That's probably the single most important thing we can all do. Mm. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. And uh, I'm sitting here looking at your website right now, and for people that would like to learn more, they can go to frontline.org.za. I think you say it Z-A. <laughs> and, we, we do, but uh, we understand the Z, yes. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of information there. And uh, if people want to send you an email or anything, is there links on there where they can do that? Yes, they can. And it's it's an easy email address. It's mission at frontline.org.za. Mission yeah. at frontline.org.za. That comes straight to us. And uh, you will find on our website, on frontline.org.za, uh, articles, reports, newsletters, audio, uh, our sermon audio links, PowerPoints. Uh, uh, we've got a huge amount that we've added on. And uh, a lot of 
um, PDF books uh, on, on communism, on the persecuted church, Christian terror, how the World Council Church has funded uh, and supported the murdering of missionaries. There's, there's many things on Islam and communism and New World Order that, that we've put on and how to resist and how to win. We've been in the fight for 34 years helping persecuted churches. And so we want to give the information to enable people to be inspired and involved and in how to mobilize and motivate friends and neighbors and congregations in making a difference. And we've got to fight evil. We've got to fight the good fight of faith. And we've got to get involved in discipling the nations, teaching obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. Yes. Uh, yeah, if we don't have this um, discipleship and teaching the nations, uh, we will be overrun by evil, no question about it. Um, if I don't know how to put this, but if America has to go through this terrible time of uh, God's judgment because we keep turning our backs on him, it will be hard on the Christian families to survive. Any advice on how to survive in bad conditions, um, how to maintain your sanity, how to protect your family? Yes, indeed. Well, I was brought up in Rhodesia, what today is communist Zimbabwe. Uh, I fought in the South African Army up in Southwest Africa, what today is Namibia, against communists in Angola, and I've been behind enemy lines there. And my home country, South Africa, is uh, now run by the enemy. We were never beaten by enemies, but we were betrayed by our friends. So I've lived through three revolutions. I've been imprisoned and tortured uh, by communists mm. and given massive amounts of death threats by Muslims for writing history books on slavery, terrorism, and Islam, and so on. So uh, I've lived in a war situation of condition orange and red um, uh, most of my life. And, um, you know, I have to be armed and trained and ready uh, at a moment's notice because there's quite a lot of people who've said they want to kill me um, for what I've written and done and said. And what I've found, for example, when I ended up in prison the first time, for my faith, I hadn't broken any laws or anything. Um, I was just taking Bibles and ministering in a communist country. But the first thing that helped me was I'd read a lot of biographies of persecuted Christians like Richard Wilmbrandt from Romania and read Brother Andrew's materials and of George Vince from Russia. So I, I knew Alexander Solzhenitsyn's books. So I must say, having read of people who had gone through far, far worse persecution gave me courage and strength. And having studied in history from the Fox's Book of Martyrs and from missionaries and others who've suffered for the Lord through the centuries, that gave me inspiration and spiritual doctrinal steel in my backbones and some Holy Spirit fire in my bellies. So certainly studying biographies, seeing some good films and resources from those who've suffered, that does help. Uh, but then knowing the Psalms, I must say the Psalms are the prayers and the hymn book of the Bible and when you know the Psalms and you can sing the Psalms and you know a lot of it from memory, that enriches you in the worst situations. And we found ourselves singing in the cells and being emboldened from the Psalms and mm. the hymns of the faith. Uh, in, uh, when I was being taken in, in handcuffs and chains and shackled and mm. beaten through the streets of Communist City, I was singing, A Mighty Fortress is a God, and this <laughs> is the day that the Lord has made, and stand up, stand up for Jesus, and uh, onward Christian soldiers. We, we were... We were getting stronger, and the people who were wanting to hit us were getting weaker. And you saw mm. them sort of starting to feel ashamed and, and backing off because uh, of the boldness God gave us through the scriptures and the hymns of the saints. So I would say sing the Psalms, sing the hymns, know our heritage, memorize a lot of scripture, 
Uh, have I, uh, if our children can learn to fear God, they will not fear man. And so learning to fear God and to love his word definitely is most important. And knowing our history and heritage so that we could not be intimidated to back down on any of these things when we've been at the mercy of communists and Muslims because of our heritage, our history and the scriptures. Mm. And so I think that's absolutely vital. We've got to build into our, our people the stories of people like Martin Luther who could stand before the emperor and say, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. That kind of inspiration, if we inspire our young people with the examples of excellence of the past, then they will be able to endure whatever the future throws at us. Mm. Oh, beautiful. We've got one minute left here today. We're talking with uh, Dr. Peter Hammond. Perhaps our listeners would um, be willing to pray for you, would like to be able to pray for you. Uh, maybe one or two prayer requests you can share with them before we go today. Yes, please. We have missionaries going into two restricted access areas very soon. Uh, safety protection is always uh, number one concern of a mission leader for his, his missionaries. And uh, uh, so praying for that, uh, we need to be informed. We need to be inspired. We need to be involved. There's so much that we can do. So visit our www.frontline.org.za website or email us at mission at frontline.org.za. Also, if you're on social media, you can find Frontline Fellowship on Facebook. And we're always posting things on the church in Sudan, Nuba Mountains, Congo. Christians are under fire right now. In the Nuba Mountains, the Muslims have dropped 5,000 bombs on Christians in Nuba in just one month that Mm. we calculated. 5,000 bombs in one month. So there are Christians under fire today, and let's really mobilize our churches and families to praying for the persecuted church and resisting those forces that support them in our countries. Uh, big amen. Today we've been talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, founder and director of Frontline Fellowship, an active missionary, and uh, also addressing groups of people and instructing them in the gospel of Christ and also in history. So important. Uh, Dr. Hammond, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a great joy. Thank you, Dan. God bless all your listeners, Redeemer Broadcasting and the United States. We pray that you get your country back, uh, reclaim America for Christ. Oh, amen. Dear listener, you can find this broadcast up on our website as a podcast. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer 